1: Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Corey Ajmi. Her new novel is The Marriage Box, based on her life growing up in the Syrian Jewish community over in Brooklyn. We talk about why she starts writing by hand. Also, how much life influences storytelling? Is it always right what you know? And you can hear when she's at her most creative.
2: For me, it's first thing in the morning with that cup of coffee. That's when I'd say those first two hours. The earlier, the better. I'm really charged up. I'm really focused. Um, probably not going to be interrupted. Uh, that's. Definitely my best writing time.
1: There is more about the day and lots more in a brand new writer's routine with Corey Ajmi. Yes, welcome along to the show. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine. Very simple, that's what it says on the tin. Hopefully, we take a look through an author's working day to see how they plan their day, their life, their space to give them the best chance of getting their idea down onto the page. Now, are you a visual writer? Do you like to see your organisation around you all of the time? Do you want to have instant access to your research? Are you a kind of colour coder and highlighter? If that's you, then the sponsor of the show this week could really help you out. Very excited that for just a little while longer, Plotter are helping to power this show, just like the software can help power your writing. It's a writing tool, Plotter, that does what it says. It helps you plot. It helps you plan your books the way that you think so you can outline faster, organise smarter and turbocharge your productivity. And it's brilliant for visual authors. I've been playing around with it for a little while now. When you open the software up, You get a digital cork board where you can easily swap between the timeline, the outline, your notes, the details on your characters and your places. You can tag them, you can colour code them to make it really easy and fast to skim through and to find what you need. It's always there around you doing the work in the background. So the only thing you need to do is to focus on the words on your page, to use everything it can give you to get your idea down. It lets you track all the details of your plot at a scene level and switch and swap and use them however you like. Plotter helps you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else. I think for us writers, we spend a lot of time faffing about the window dressing of, right, of simply getting ideas down and simply getting words on the page. And this can help with that because it takes care of the back end. It helps you strip it back to see what's important and what you need to focus on. It is a writing software that can work hand in hand with anything else that you might need, with Scrivener, with Word, with any form of word processor. It works together just to give you the best opportunity to focus on what you need to do, which is tell the story. Now, the best way for you to see what it does and how stunning it looks is by getting to go.plotter.com slash routine, taking a look around. There's no E in Plotter, by the way. Go.plotter, P-L-O-T-T-R.com slash routine. Have a look around. And while you're there, you can get 10% off the software with this show. So if you're a visual writer, take a look, see how it can help. And then remember to use the link that's in the episode notes of this show, nice and easy for you to click. It's go.plotter.com slash routine. This week on the show, we're chatting to Corey Ajmi. Her debut, Life and Other Shortcomings won a whole bunch of prizes. Her new novel is The Marriage Box. It's all about Casey Cohen, a 16 year old over in New Orleans. And in the seventies, her parents decide to return to their roots and move to these Orthodox Syrian Jewish community in Brooklyn. In time, Casey meets a man called Michael, marries him when she's 18, thinking that she can adjust to his Syrian ways, but starts to question everything when Michael says he doesn't want her to go to college, but have a baby instead. It's a novel that unpacks these cultures, these traditions, these ideas about how people do what they do and whether there's any change and how people deal with that. Much of it is inspired and based on... Corey's own upbringing she started writing in her 30s after having five children and very much living that life she did a lot of similar things that Casey Cohen did and we talk about the line between mining your own life for inspiration but also being aware of the trouble that it might cause in your family right also you can hear why she started writing short stories before finding the time to get a novel down how she came to a point where she could tie various ideas and disparate themes and scenes in her head into one narrative. And we chat through why she is redesigning her writing space to make her more creative. There is a lot on the way with Corey Adjmi in this week's Writer's Routine. And we start it off with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write.
2: Well, I love sitting at a very big desk. So there's always a big desk wherever I am. Um, and where I work mostly these days is in Manhattan. So um, my window overlooks uh, Madison Avenue and um, the Apple Store and people and cars and uh, the bustle really energizes in me.
1: It's amazing. I was in New York recently and as you say, the bustle is incredible. It's energizing, but it's a, it's, a, it's a noisy place. How do you find getting into your zone of writing, maybe the quiet space that you need while there's so much happening around you?
2: Well, when I need to do a certain kind of writing, I get into the habit of waking up really early in the morning, like maybe 5 or 5.30. And I love that time when it's super quiet and nothing's happening. Um, Then as the day goes on, I can do like different kinds of writing when it's noisier outside, like more editing um, during those times and less like of the creating and the meditative part of writing. I I work everywhere. Um, I think I got in that habit early on, like going to cafes and um, hotels and on airplanes and everywhere. And during COVID, obviously that changed and I ended up staying home more. And Manhattan is home. So I got into a routine um, that includes Manhattan because that is home. And um, sometimes I'll go out now, but it's easier not to have to lug my computer and um, papers and whatever. So um, when I need quiet, I just make sure to get up really early. Over the years, I've gone to office space to work, especially when I was just finishing up a project or had something specific to do. But mostly I'm at home now. I also had young kids during you know, a lot of those years, and now my kids are grown and not home. So um, home, I have an empty bedroom, and it's become my office.
1: So with this empty bedroom, how have you designed or kind of curated it to to, to, to make it a, a creative space for you to work in for your stories? I mean, is there anything inspirational? Is there anything? Uh, are there plot points on the wall? Have you got a whiteboard letting you know what's coming next in your story?
2: Oh, that's really interesting that you asked me that at this point, um, because I just decided really about, about two weeks ago to redecorate the space. Um, so that it's more um, conducive to writing and more ins- feels more inspirational because it was my daughter's bedroom. So there's still a bed in the room and just a desk on the side, um, but it is a really sunny room. So and it's just kind of white and clean. And, and so it's nice in that way. But um, I've decided to make it mine and I'm going to put a really big, probably table, not even a desk. I just love big workspaces um, where I can lay out all the ideas and the post-its and everything just all over the table, index cards or whatever I might be working with.
1: And talk to me about the desk setup. I'm fascinated by people's desks, right? Uh, uh, Are we thinking notepads around you, maybe places for you to jot things down? Are you working on a laptop or a desktop? What's going on there?
2: So I I do, but I, all of it. I use note cards, post-its, index cards. I use yellow legal paper mostly, Although I have worked in journals, I use a computer, but I usually start out by hand. I use uh, a pen on yellow legal paper just to start. And then once the ideas start forming, um, I start putting the ideas into the computer.
1: Tell us, what is it about starting out by hand with pen, with paper, that helps bring out ideas at that stage, do you think?
2: Oh, it's so amazing for me. Uh, writing with a pen and writing script has been a fascination of mine since I've been 10 years old. Well, you know, in fourth grade, when you first learn to write cursive, um, which I understand they don't even teach in schools anymore, but I loved it and would spend hours and hours just trying to make perfect letters. And I do think there's like a meditative quality to it, and it's just how I do my best. First, writing. Um, I'm also a really big fan of Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, and she recommends um, artist pages. That was called, yeah, no, morning pages. Sorry. They're called morning pages, which are three pages of longhand writing every morning, first thing, and uh, just stream of consciousness. And I started doing that when I first began writing as an exercise that she suggested, and I stuck with it for years. And so now it's kind of part of my habit and, um, and a routine that I really enjoy and value. So that's, that's my reasoning for pen and paper. How, how,
1: how, does, that, how does writing first thing, the stream of consciousness, if you were to analyze it, how is that affecting the stories that you're writing th- that day? How are you kind of fleshing out these ideas, giving yourself space to work through other things that might be going in your life that helps you with the actual storytelling?
2: Well, I think once you start writing and you're sitting in that quiet space, um, there's like a process of discovery. Maybe you're able to be more open. I mean, for me, it's also like with my first cup of coffee in the morning. So I'm like half asleep. Um, Ideas rise, you get them down on paper before the sentence is done. You you're having another thought. And I just find that the ideas connect in more unusual ways that are less expected than if you're awake and it's kind of like the same thought you've had before. So for me, it just feels like a more curious, um, open, uh, playful time. And, um, I often discover things that I didn't even know I was thinking about during that time.
1: Because you know that, right? I just, I, the, It's really interesting how this is a time for you where you are meant to just be rambling. You're writing a stream of consciousness, yet you know that it can be really helpful and it can help you unpack perhaps what's going on in your plot. So although it's a stream of consciousness, how... Uh, Forcefully, you making what you're writing at that time. How thought through is it?
2: I think it depends on the stage I'm at. If I'm really just starting out, there might be like no thought to it at all. Um, if if I'm trying to solve a problem, maybe I'm sort of meditating on how to make this character get from one place to another. And I don't mean in physical location. I mean, like, emotionally, like, what might have to happen to this character? What experiences might this character have to encounter to show a certain quality? So I might enter, like, with a question kind of in the back of my mind or even in the front of my mind. But um, so that kind of writing is different than just waking up and starting to write literally Um, it's a beautiful day outside. Um, I have so many things I need to do or so little I need to do. I'm going to read this book or whatever. And I just start and four sentences in, you know, something begins to unfold. And then the writing takes a turn just based on where my thoughts went, I guess. Well, now it's different than it used to be. So it used to be like once I um, stopped writing for the day, pretty much I was done, whether I had errands to do or kids to take care of or something like I, I was always afraid once I stopped, I'd never get back to it. And now it's been about 20 years that I've been writing. So I know that even if I stop um, to get something to eat or to run an errand or to take a phone call, um, I'm going to get back to it. So I might do a different kind of writing once I stop, but um, I'm going to get back to it. So pretty much it's all day um, with some breaks in between. And it's all day, but um, doing different uh, tasks to um, help forward my writing career. So some of it is writing. Some of it is promotion. Some of it is going on to social media, which is really difficult for me. <laughs> it takes me a lot more time than it takes other people, but it has to be done. Um, it doesn't have to be done, but I think it's helpful. And, um, so I need to devote some time to that. Um, also increasing my community, my literary community, reaching out to other writers and editors and, um, it's been coaches, even it's been really fun growing my community of friends, my writer friends. Um, so all day, there is just always something to be done.
1: You're always doing something all day. How, how how good are you at spotting perhaps the best time that for you f- to be creative and write? How much do you plan your day, although it's very busy, around perhaps two hours that you know you're going to get your best stuff down?
2: For me, it's first thing in the morning with that cup of coffee. That's when I'd say those first two hours, the earlier, the better. I'm really charged up, I'm really focused, um, probably not going to be interrupted. Uh, that's definitely my best writing time. It's my best work time. Like whatever I tackle those first two hours are really going to get my undivided attention and focus. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah. And later at night, it gets harder for me to stay as focused and, and, or to work as fast
1: How much do you know about what you're planning to sit down and write in those first two hours? You know that you need to get stuff done because that's when you work best. How much of a plan is there about what you'll fill those times with?
2: Um, I think, again, it depends on the stage. Like If I'm finishing up a book, like the Marriage Box I just finished, um, it launched May 2nd the last couple of weeks before the launch uh, were, you know, editing or promoting or um, it was a different kind of writing. Now what I've been doing since is little by little ideas, like this space opened up since May 2nd. And I feel like, okay, now that that baby's out in the world, I can start to think about what's next. And I have a draft of another novel and so a lot of my downtime, free time, thinking time has been focused, on like getting, getting that book off into the world. So, um, so it's not like exact, like I, I don't wake up saying I'm going to work on chapter six, let's say for this book yet, but I can feel that coming. I can feel like the more specific tasks around this book. Um, are coming. And, and I read or, or heard years and years ago that sometimes even writers aren't actually writing, they're working. And I feel like that's what's happening now. Like, I'm definitely thinking about this book a lot these last few weeks, getting ready for when I actually sit down. Um, hopefully, the ideas and the thoughts and the inspiration will just fall out of me and onto the page. But... That's what I've been doing lately.
1: When the words aren't coming out, when you're finding it particularly tricky, have you learned any tricks along the way that just help coax them out a bit?
2: Yes, actually. Um, Reading other people's work, um, especially when I stumble on something that inspires me in some way, um, has been so motivating because I'll either be like, oh my God, that's a gorgeous sentence or... What a twist in the plot. And that really surprised me. Or I'm drawn to dark things often, even TV shows, storytelling on TV or uh, in movies can be an inspiration. And when I see or feel something from another piece of art, um, like I said, either film or in books, I really do get inspired to say, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And it can be a springboard for me just to get going.
1: How tough is it to watch and read when you are also a storyteller and perhaps try and switch off that critical eye?
2: Um, I think um, for the most part, I have found more enjoyment and appreciation. Um, I learn from other people all the time. Even when there's something you don't like, you know, I'm learning, oh, I don't want to do that. But um, I can switch off the 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 working part of me and just enjoy a good story. That's for sure. And then sometimes I'm really focused and um, aware of what the writer is doing or has done. And like I said, I get motivated to do it myself.
1: You say that you uh, are almost editing as you go. How much is that ingrained into your process? I speak to some authors who will crack out a first draft who'll blitz their way through it. And then... A month, a couple of months later, they'll look back and, and tidy and tweak at that point. How much is that you, or are you like to, are you someone that likes to almost perfect each page as you're writing?
2: Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do writing, let's say for a day, um, get a couple of pages out, and then the next morning I go back and I do look at those pages again. I try not to get too serious about making them perfect because they will probably change, but I don't just write and leave it and move on. I stay kind of, um, I reconnect to what I was thinking about the day before, whether it's the vibe or the energy or a certain thread, and I I carry it into the next day.
1: You sound like someone who has has got kind of your routine figured out. You know you like to work in the morning, you know that reading other people's work creatively inspires you you're you're a couple of published books in now how much are you still thinking about tweaking the way that you work to give yourself a better chance of being creative every day
2: huh um i'll tweak things um when i'm not getting enough done so normally i, I might end up at my computer at 7 in the morning like first cup of coffee and just start working But if I'm feeling like it's not enough or something more has to be done, I start waking up at five. And um, so like that, I'll I'll change. Um, Also, uh, you know, I do try not to get too um, held back by going back and editing and spending too much time, time trying to make every page perfect. It's important to get the draft down and see the whole picture and then go back. So I am I am trying to um cha- I'm always learning and getting ideas from other people. And I've just found what works for me so far, but um it's different for everybody.
1: I'm always quite loath to ask a question like this. Um, but I'm very interested because I've been talking to a lot of authors recently about like life experience and Uh, you are a grandmother. You uh, had a very busy kind of 20s moving through your 30s, having five children by the time you were 34. Um, so like that, that's a busy time. How much do you think that life experience and, and going, uh, doing all of that at at an age similar to where I am now, um, kind of set you up to, to write stories? in a different way than perhaps you would have had that not have happened to you.
2: Yeah. I mean, my life experiences have definitely influenced my writing. So um, the first book I wrote was a collection of stories. And I think that um, the stories are, I think it was stories as opposed to a novel, just because when I was raising small children, it was really hard to focus on 300 pages. I would never have the time to sit down and and even go through one draft, I would lose the thread. It just was much, much harder for me. So even the fact that I was writing short stories was related to what was happening in my life. Plus the stories are all, um, based around the lives of women and uh, the struggles that women, the struggles and the joys that women face and, um, patriarchy, domestic violence, um, gender, inequality is, you know, all over that book. And I think I was writing about the things I was experiencing at the time. Um, so that book, that book is called Life and Other Shortcomings. And there are four stories in that collection from a male perspective. But mostly it tells the story of women's lives in their 30s, because that's how old I was then too. So my life does influence what I write. Um, My second book, the one that just came out this past May, is a novel. Um, Writing a novel was much harder for me. It took a really long time. But the novel is much more based on my real life. Um, When I was 16, my family decided to move from New Orleans to Brooklyn to the Syrian Jewish Orthodox community, which I knew nothing about. I didn't know much about my Syrian background. Um, I was raised reformed, not Orthodox, and my parents decided to move back because they wanted me, um, in this community life and to get married and by 18 actually. And I had grown up, I was in a college preparatory school in New Orleans. Um, and I thought I was going to go to college, but both of my parents had grown up in this community in Brooklyn and they decided to move. So that is the premise of my novel. Um, called The Marriage Box. And um, so I do take things from my real life, even though the details of the book are fiction, they're all made up. um, The premise is based on my actual life.
1: You say that when you were writing, when you had children, it kind of had to be short stories because you didn't have the focus or time to get on with 300 plus pages for a novel. What changed that allowed you to do that was it perhaps having the first book published and you knew that maybe you had it in you to to, to to go longer
2: that that was part of it um and also my kids grew up they're 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 grown now and i have much more time and really that's what i needed i needed time and focus
0: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss Back with more from Corey Ajmi in just a sec. Very quickly I want to thank you for listening to the show for taking the time to find us however long you've been listening. We've done I think like 270 episodes now and if you've learned anything along the way, if any of the tips and tricks from some of the incredible authors that we've chatted to over the last few years have helped you plan your day, your space If there's been anything, just little tweaks that's really changed things for you. You can always support the show for that over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. We've got a little writing community over there where we chat about what's going on, books that we're reading, sharing little tips and tricks along the way. And you can be part of that really easy. Just a few dollars a month helps us carry on. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. And for that, you get our thanks, you get merch, there is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. If you've published something recently and it's not had the fanfare that it deserves, I will do the plugging for you over on our Patreon page. And I know that times are really tight at the moment. So anything that you can like sling our way goes an extraordinarily long way. And I'm extremely grateful for it. And it's just me doing all of this. So if you'd like to see it carry on as often as we can, uh, you can help us out by backing and pledging to support the show at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Let's get back to it then with Corey Ajmi chatting about the routine behind her brand new novel, The Marriage Box. In this part, we discuss tying together ideas and themes into a workable plot. Also, how much she thought of questions that might come as a response to the culture that she grew up in and is writing about too. And we get back to it, chatting about the new novel. And when that first idea came to her for The Marriage Box?
2: I think the initial idea started with just grappling on my own about my life and uh, the choices I made and um, the experiences I'd had. And um, there was a lot of fascination with this community. It hasn't been written about very much. And um, I think I also was just, um, you know, almost like a journal, just writing about uh, my life. It was that I was probably in my 30s. And um, one thing just led to another. Like I would just tell, I would write a scene and then another scene. And I didn't even know where they were going. They weren't connected. I didn't have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, I was just telling stories. And um I think just one day. I mean, honestly, one day after I had had a couple of short stories published, I was like, I think I'll write a novel. And I had all these scenes, and I thought it was going to be just like a longer short story, which is absolutely not the case. Um and it took me a much longer to figure out what makes a good novel. And, and it is different than a short story. So um, I was mistaken to think it was just going to take a little bit more time than the short story and just be a little bit longer. It was really different for me.
1: How, how did you learn about the differences then?
2: By studying. I would read other people's work. And instead of just sitting down and reading it just for pure pleasure and joy, I had a pencil in my hand. I was taking notes this is the way you can transition one scene into another. This is the way you can do a flashback without it slowing down the narrative. This is the way, you know, whatever, each each thing I learned by, I mean, I took classes too, but I learned a lot by reading other people's work.
1: When it came to write the novel, and you've got these collection of stories that you've mentioned, these scenes rather, um, how did you go about fashioning them into a a a plot that would tie all of these things together across
2: 300 pages. Yeah, that wasn't so simple. (laughs) That's why it took me, I didn't say this yet, but it took me 20 years to write The Marriage Box. That's a really long time. Most people don't have that patience. (laughs) Um, It was just very important for me to write this book, and it was very important that I write it the best way that I knew how. And so um, it took a long time. Um, and like I said, I, I did a little bit of everything. I took classes. I learned on my own. I, um, I studied, I I really worked hard. So the marriage box focuses on
1: Katie Cohen. Now, and yeah, as we've spoken about, this is quite an autobiographical piece, but it's slightly different. How did you go about making Casey into someone who had lived similar experiences to you, but actually was not you? How much did you think about the differences between you?
2: Um, Well, at first, and this was another reason why the novel took me so long to write, is I didn't realize I was doing this, but I was protecting all my characters, including myself. But of course, you don't want to make the mother do something bad or something that she might not do if people are assuming it's your mother. Uh, and same with the father and the husband, and even myself. So it was just but years in when I said, okay, you know, I got to stop protecting my characters, and I'm going to make Casey, who's based on me, do something I could never do. And then once I did that, it kind of freed me up to let the other characters do things that were not true in real life. And that was a huge um, opening, a huge breaking point. And then I could really start to have fun on the page. And then I had to find the threads that would keep my reader interested, keep them wanting to turn the page. And, and that part was fun to create.
1: Well, let's talk about that creation then, uh, specifically the fun, the words that you had on the page. H- how much did you think about each word? You know some some writers pour over having the precise, perfect word that comes next. Um, other but perhaps genre fiction writers just need it to get them from A to B. How much thought did you give to that thing?
2: so originally too, my goal and my interest was to write beautiful writing. I wanted it to be literary fiction, whatever that might mean today. but like I said, this was 20 years ago, and um, that was super important to me. And as time went on, I realized like it needs to be beautiful writing or the best writing you can do, but also it has to be a story that intrigues. It has to be entertaining. And you have to have some reason for your reader to be invested, not just in aware of the author and this beautiful language, but invested in the character. And is your protagonist going to be okay? What's going to happen? And that's what really makes the reader turn pages. And I'd say that was one of the hardest things for me and maybe one of the last things to come. But I will say this, thankfully, that has been the thing I've heard the most since The Marriage Box has been published is that people i'm hearing a lot i couldn't put it down i read it in two days and that has been so satisfying to me because um it was so hard for me to achieve that the
1: stories that you're telling here uh a, a lot of them happen in kind of seven the, the the 70s uh across well new orleans then in into brooklyn um uh, we're in 2023 now this happened these experiences some happened to you some were, were created for the story how easy was it to conjure up a, a sense of time that was like quite long ago now and write that into a story how, how how did you go about placing yourself back there
2: well i'm smiling as you ask that question because that was really a fun part of the process Just to like, as you're writing the scene, think about the music that might have been in the background, or my favorite songs, or a memory that was connected to a certain song. So, music is a huge part of the marriage box. Um, And um, I I just, it it just seemed, um, it was a creative, fun process to think about the things of that time that signified something. Whether it was Madonna and uh, the details of the '80s um, through music and, and through fashion, um, through TV shows, that ju- that part was um, that that was a fun, exciting part of the process.
1: Did you listen to music to get yourself into the spirit as you were writing on occasion?
2: I did. Well, for whatever reason, Sister Golden Hair um america really was just a fun song i always like connected that to the marriage box um but there's all like um you know there was jeremiah was a bullfrog which is i don't know how popular that song is from this yeah
1: credence clear water revival isn't i think
2: so yeah <laughs> i'm not sure though don't go by me <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, jeremiah was a bullfrog he was a good friend of mine yes yeah, yes yes,
2: yes yes so yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I hear that song, and it just makes me smile. It brings back memories and connects me to a certain time. And I guess the hope was it would connect the reader too to a certain time. I mean, um, funny enough, <laughs> I was submitting to a contest, and there were all these categories, and one of them was historical fiction. And it the the requirement was if your book is more than forty years old. It could be considered historical fiction. That was shocking to me.
1: <laughs> That's what history is now. <laughs> That's
2: how it is. Yeah, but I mean, the book feels really contemporary to me. But obviously, like you said, it, it takes place forty years ago. So,
1: your debut, Life and Other Shortcomings, won a whole load of prizes, and, and you've got this novel out. How how much pressure did you feel, kind of following up uh, a few awards by writing this? novel by writing a you know the the, the first novel I guess uh, pressure from publishers pressure from people who had noticed you from the award pressure from readers of the debut that were waiting to see what you were going to do
2: um, that's a, a great question too because uh, with life and other shortcomings I got really lucky and I think a lot of I had no idea what I was in for for me the goal was, Get this book published, get it out to the world, get it published. I don't know why I didn't think about like the after. And then I felt really fortunate and lucky and grateful for the after that, like you said, I had won these awards, but I just didn't have all that much anxiety. And right before the publication of marriage box, I, you know, two or three months leading up to it, um, I did have a lot of anxiety. Like, oh my God, what if people don't like this book? Or what if things don't go as well as they did with life and other shortcomings or whatever, you know, you let your brain get carried away sometimes. Um, And it was harder for me, but you know, you have to work the muscle because if you don't put your work out there, nobody can read it. Nobody can enjoy it. And it's a risk, but um, one that's worth taking, at least it has been for me, And um, it definitely was more, I guess, scary the second time, just knowing um, more, knowing more made it more scary.
1: It's interesting that you said when you published the first one that there wasn't really a plan of what you wanted to do. You just wanted to get these stories out there. Now you've published The Marriage Box. Um, How much is there a plan going forward now that you are a writer and this is how everyone sees you and this is how you make some money?
2: Yeah, there's a plan that I I really do want to keep writing. I have another book that I have the draft, a first draft done. I'm working on a second draft. Um, And my working requirements for that were to have it be as far away from my real life as possible, hoping that would make it easier to write. And it was really fun to write. Um, And my goal is just to keep writing, uh, to please readers, to write books that people are interested in, that they want to read, that uh, spark interesting conversations, that, that's been a really wonderful part of publishing, which, again, I didn't expect before Life and Other Shortcomings, but just like talking to you and other going to book talks and being on panels and, and being at book clubs has been really wonderful. Um, having discussions um, sometimes really important discussions that my book has sparked really feels very satisfying.
1: The, the, my last question is, I, I like, I understand that communities do things in, in, in very different ways. And what is tradition in one community and type of living might be seen as something very strange to someone else like the the things that you're writing about here from the, the the 70s when you've got Casey Cohen who is 16 years old who meets her husband marries him at 18 and then he wants her to have a, a baby instead of go to college um these are things that we might look back on now in 2023 and many people might see that as quite a, a, a strange way of living and a, a strange way of uh treating women I guess for I want a better phrase how much did you think about those differences and how they would be seen in 2023 as you were writing?
2: I mean, I, I did. Um, I, I wanted people to see the difference, not only from the perspective of um, over how over time things change. This is like, a, I, I look at this book as a snapshot um, of the way this community was at that time. And I, I think, you know, the community... The Syrian community has the Syrian Jewish community has so many beautiful values. Um, they're warm people. They're hospitable people, charitable, and hardworking. Really hardworking, which was like the number one um, value outside of family. Family is also a huge, huge um, value. And so um, they were first coming to this country, like in the early 1900s, and assimilating in the 60s. And by the 80s, things, they were just trying to get um, situated and to figure out how they were going to bring their traditional values to this modern world. And so things have changed a lot. I mean, just like in every community. And so um, now the women go to college and they work and they've become, they've assimilated somewhat more because it's, you know, two generations since
1: when the marriage box takes place that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much to Corey Ajmi for coming on the show that new novel is the marriage box and it's out right now next week we're chatting to the author tim lott who has won many awards he's written across genre he's worked as a screenwriter he teaches creative writing and he's got a new writing guide out called yes but not but wait now to tell you the truth I, I get kind of pitched a lot of writing guide guru kind of guests and I've always put it off because I didn't see the value in it really. Um, you know, we're here to learn from authors who have been there and done it, not authors who are trying to kind of tell you what to do. I think there's a fine balance, but Tim has written so extensively and I'd read some of the book and I I, kind of knew about his background in what he does with teaching writing. And I think it's a really great chat. There's a lot of great advice in there for you next week with Tim Lott on the show. In the meantime, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. Drop us a follow on Twitter too. We are at writerspod there. And you can get in touch using the contact page over at writersroutine.com. I'd love to hear from you and I will see you next week with Tim Lott. Until then, bye.